This episode is brought to you by the new October term. Open now at fxphd.com. You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC podcast covering digital cinematography. This week we are doing, well, Sony Week here at the RC with a, a veritable treasure trove of Sony cameras from the A99 to the F5 to the F55. Yes, we went directly to Sony, spoke to the guys and uh, saw what we could in person and some 4K monitors all from Sony. Not just Sony, but that and more will be coming up this week here on the uh, FX Guide RC podcast where we see our role as to mine the... Uh, the various blogs and the news and filter stuff and talk to people and go down some rat holes and come up with new opinions that Jason can get blazoned on T-shirts. Discussing me, uh, this stuff with me as always, is Jason Wingrove. How are you, sir? Hello. Very good. Very good. How are we all? Good, good. Yes. Well, we um, we sit in with bated breath to uh, to kind of see where's the next one of your brazen uh, statements that seems to get picked up as a meme around the net. I'll stick with that one. I wish I hadn't sworn during it. I yes. wish I hadn't made it. Up. I'm referring, of course, to Jason's uh, assertion that every camera should record its own shit or um, it doesn't really uh, count. And we'll be testing that theory because that was a comment over 4K and my love of shooting with the codex and uh, he was having a go at, well, that workflow and uh, and perhaps me um in a friendly kind of way. So we're going to have a look at that in particular because we're talking about the new Sony cameras that are in fact 4K recording but have 4K external clip-on recorders. Um, Also in the Red Room uh, this week, we have uh, two guys who are from uh, the industry, not from Sony, but talking about the Sony A99. Now, the A99 is a stills camera that is, I think, really, really interesting. Just didn't get immediately on your radar? No, well, I mean, I knew it was there and I... Kind of, I haven't really focused much attention on it. I guess I need to get back up to speed. It uh, the more I see of the imagery, the more impressed I am, and uh, it's definitely doing some very lovely things visually. Well, I spoke to uh, Jerome and David, and uh, and looked at their um, film, which they published called The Calling, which was made in uh, cooperation, I guess, with Sony. There was also some great behind the scenes stuff. Um, uh, David's a very accomplished. Um, well, DOP and and just photographer. In fact, he's done multiple um, National Geographic uh, spreads, as you'll hear in that interview in the Red Room later. But first, let's go to the news desk. And now, the RC News. And Jason. Um, yeah, what the F? What the <laughs> what Sony. The F? Well, I mean, it, one of the first... When we got the briefing, one of the first slides that came up was this sort of thing. Here's the F3, and way up here is the F65, and there was this, well, it's a bit of a gap here. And when you look at it, you go, think, well, yeah, there is a bit of a gap, really. You've got Because, I mean, the F3 is great, but there is a chasm between the F3's abilities and, what, and, and the hugeness of the you know, 8K, true 4K-ness of the F65. So uh, by now I'm sure everyone's seen uh, specs and uh, all the details, or most of the details, I believe, on the F5 and the F55. Uh, but it was good to get the briefing in, in person. It's very, I well, think, actually, very, I a couple of very capable, very seen, impressive cameras. I don't know. They would have seen the specs, as this will go out the moment the specs are published. Okay. So for those of you that are sitting on an RSS feed um, and haven't seen that, we should probably run through them, because I, I don't know that um, 
Yeah. I, certainly, I find with these cameras, unless you're paying close attention, so many are being released so quickly yeah. that it can be, um, well, a little daunting to try and keep up. And also, there's a bit of a question, what should I pay attention to? Like, is it worth paying attention to this new Sony SLR, the A99, or is it just a you know, a minor mod update? Um, and I certainly think in the case of all three cameras from Sony we're talking about this week, the in particular, of course, uh, the F5 and the F55, that they are significant additions to the line. Would you agree? Absolutely. It takes me, I don't know about you, Mike, but when you see this page upon page on slides and specs and things, it takes me at least a few days just to absorb it all. And I'm still doing it and still going through it this morning, a few days later, just still digesting the specs and how they how these cameras compare and, and just absorbing it really takes me my brain a while to work out where these cameras sit and uh, to really get a good overview of them but uh i think it's a real sort of epic f3 alexa genetic love you know love in and uh, out pops these two cameras i think it's very alexa-ish by first look but then yet it's kind of f3-ish and, and it's quite compact modular like a, a like you know dsmc system so there's a lot there's a lot they've got right here and, and as they stress to us what sony have done over the last two three years uh, since the F3 or before the F3 even came out was this is camera and these have been designed in consultation with the industry, with DPs, with DITs, post houses. Um, so really getting a good breadth of, um, of, of, of feedback so that it, it works for everybody because there's a lot of stuff that's terrific is a cameraman's camera yet post people you know hate the workflow or or it's terrific people love this format in this codec you come with is fantastic but the camera is like unworkably unergonomic so we've really uh, ticked a lot of boxes here and they've learned a lot i think from f3 and and how that was um received and and potential niggles with that camera okay so i'm going to go off the official kind of just Sony line. So I just want to warn you, like we have spoken to Sony officially, but there's also a bunch of stuff bouncing around on the net, a bit of stuff that's speculation, a bit of stuff that's our own speculation. And I think, I just, if I can, Joe, so just give a bit of a run through for mm. the stats um, so that we can get an idea. So clearly as the names that imply, the F5 is close to the F3, the F55 is close to the F65, though as you pointed out, they both look remarkably like Epics. Or should I say Alexas, one of the two. Yeah. Um, okay, so what's significant about these cameras is uh, they are 4K. They're capable of recording 4K. They can record 4K RAW, which was something um, that needs a little bit of clarification. It is slightly compressed. It's not 100% RAW, but it's more RAW than most people would call RAW. By my calculations, it's 1 to uh, 3.6. or oh, that's my calculation. That's Sony's. But the way you get 1 to 3.6, if you think about it, if you've got a CMOS sensor, uh, every... Um, color point on that is defined initially as a black and white signal and interpreted whether it came through a green dye, a red dye, or a blue dye. If you don't uh, convert that undebayed um, image into a fully debayed image and matrix it out, right away you get about a 3.6 to 1 compression because clearly you, you've effectively got one reading for every pixel and only when you turn that into RGB does that triple out. And because there are uh, it's not quite as that simple, but it's pretty close. And so basically you can get a virtually uncompressed signal just by taking the raw stuff off the CMOS. And that's what they're recording on these two um, uh, raw recording options, which are in fact the same raw recording option. This camera looks yes. 
they remarkably are, identical. Between they the are identical. The, the only thing I think is the uh, this F fifty five has a silver PL uh, ring. Uh, actually, not the PL ring. That's actually as with the F three. It's got the two mounts. It's got the uh, I think they call it the F mount or the F three mount behind that, and then you have the PL mount. Uh, adapter which bolts into that so the really just the lockable um the lock ring on one of those cameras is is uh is black and one is silver otherwise outwardly dimensions everything they are exactly the same it's the internal guts that uh is different and although the same size the sensor themselves is, is slightly different between the two as well yeah the sensors being different uh also equates to the dynamic range and the properties that you need to get from them so uh, the F5 has color filtering in their CMOS chip that's very similar to the F3. The F55 is, as you say, a global shutter, different sensor, and much more closer to the F65. Yes, uh, it's still a CMOS, but it's just the way they tap that sensor, right, Mike, that makes it uh, read it globally, not, uh, I guess, sequentially, and thus, the, therefore, rolling shutter is, is, is dead in the water. Yeah, now they've got a um, this 4K raw recording option, which is, to think of it, it, it's a bit like it's not. But imagine you were clipping um, with some mods a brick onto the, like a um, battery brick, like a, you know, V-lock on the back of a modified Epic. It's that kind of sort of back section clip-on. Not as big as, say, the, um, the I.O. option for the Epic, but it's, you know, it's like a sensible kind of, same form factor unlike a v-lock battery it looks identical to the rest of the camera and it just extends it out and that recording unit is the only way you can record 4k on the um on the f5 because basically up until that point the f5 is pretty much a camera aimed at the 2k hd market but once you clip this thing on the back of it it can go to 4k raw it sort of skips all the intermediate sort of cleverness so whereas um the f 55 we're going to discuss in a section has a bunch of clever steps the f5 is pretty simple right don't buy the clip-on thing you're shooting 2k uh, like 2048 by 1080 or you're shooting hd 1920 by 1080 or 720 that's it yep game over click this on the back now you jump straight to 4k raw though of course you can call record 2k raw but you know basically yep. that's it yeah f55 is different than that um it has uh two steps that get you there so you've got the same 2k hd Obviously, click the thing on the end, you get the 4K, but in in the camera, in the F55, without that click-on extra module, you can record Quad HD, which is 3842, sorry, 3840 by 2160, or you can record 4K um, 4096 by 2160. So those are possible to be recorded, but of course, they will come at the price of having to record them in some sort of compressed format. And this is where I sorry, just you going to say something? No, I was just gonna. I'll, I will talk about the you know the Wingrove paradigm and how that works with this recorder <laughs> later on. Okay, well, I was uh, going to say why I think it's more slightly bent than broken. Okay, but I will say this. Um, so at that point, I'm like, okay, well, we can record um, some HD. We can, and if you get the more expensive camera, you can sort 4K on it. But what's that 4K you can record on it? And this is really really interesting to me. What's able to be recorded on the cameras because. Uh, it has XD cam, which is a 50 megabit per second uh, 422 signal. Okay, XD cam, popular in certain circumstances. I could definitely see an F5 user wanting to use that. 
But then this is where it gets super interesting for me. You go to the SR, which is a 220 megabit per second or 440 megabit per second, uh, 422 or 444. Now, the, the that SR format, that's what an old F900 would record if it was recording to a single uh, tape unit mm. that was recording basically what used to be just standard HD. In the days that we had big HD tape machines, this is that SR format. And then they went to from the tape machines to a solid state unit, which again was pretty bulky. But if you were lucky, you could run out two signals and you could record um, a 444, uh, 440 megabit per second signal. But this is a tape machine, albeit digital, now reduced down to the size of, I'm going to say, a very small, well, very squat. Um, uh, I guess it would be what, if I took an airline paperback and cut it in half that's about the size of um uh of this recording unit and that's a that's a killer format um and then there's also a new format in addition to that which is xavc now that's uh something that will allow you to record up to 4k in 422 i believe in 422 yeah so uh, remind me if i'm wrong here mike but what was what is being suggested and i'm sure more will come out about this soon is that xavc is what looks like to be emerging uh, something that hasn't really been around yet is a standard for uh for 4k it's a standard as proposed, um, but yet not widely adopted. So it's, yes, but if it was to take off... But there is adoptees in the wings. And this it's is not, not a Sony-only yeah. event. Sony is happy to say somebody else could also support XAVC. I guess a Panasonic would be a likely contender. And that sucker is going to record both of these um, 4K formats I spoke about, that uh, that quad or four times HD, which is not yeah, quite QFHD. That's cool, and that's kind of domestic. You call it domestic 4K if you actually happen to buy, a, just pop into your local shop and buy a domestic buy. 4K monitor, yep. um, which we'll talk about later. That this is the format that they're sort of adopting, almost nearly pregnant, not quite uh, 4K. So, dear listener, you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, well, if I don't have this raw recorder on the back, what the hell is recording this? quad hd or 4k on this new x uh, avc like you know how is it being done well they have a new sys pro card there's two slots and um it's actually it's kind of funny i think actually another bloody um variation in what you know we thought was kind of stable but obviously yeah. isn't well it still use the same slot still use the same format you can still then use regular if you've got sys cards from your f3 etc you can still use those cards there'll be a limit to its data rate they're basically higher data rate sys cards and which allows you to get into the, this higher stuff and above and, above hd and the axsm cards yep so just to be clear, the uh, SBS Plus or Pro Plus, what is it called? The yep. um, SBS Pro Plus. Yep. So that is the higher da- the higher data rate SBS cards, and the, there's two slots of those in the, in the camera, so you can have. Uh, I guess you need to raid those, uh, and then we're talking about the um, the AXSMs. AXSMs. Now, okay. Just which is a sm- new a new format a new design a new size of ssd card uh to go into the um dockable modular recorder 
So these SYS cards are, uh, to give you an idea, if you're recording 4K in this XAVC format in 422, about 20 minutes. If you're recording HD um, or, you know, more like 2K in 422, about 60 minutes. And if you obviously went in something lower, like, you know, started having, I don't know, an MPEG thing in there, you'd record hours of the bloody stuff. Um, the, yeah, the other cards, these um, these AXSM things, are come in at the moment one flavor, which is two one five twelve gigabytes. And uh, I think the other card we were talking about was 64 gig normally, the SYS Pro yeah. Plus. Yeah. And, um, and so these uh, 512 gigabyte cards are capable of doing 16-bit linear 2K recording and 16-bit linear 4K recording and are obviously pretty specced up. For example, that SPS Pro card, that's recording at 1.3 gig- gigabits a second uh, maxed out. These new cards recording at 2.4 gigabits per second or 300 megabytes a second write speed. Um, of course, you'll need a, a new reader to do that. you need a reader on your desk plugged in with USB 3 to, to read that. But that's the sucker that um, is the sort of memory heart of what's going on. Yep, the CR1, which is a reader only. It is not a writer. You can't copy to the card. It's read only at this stage. No price point. As with all of the stuff, no price point for that card. Uh, just reading on the top of the card, the SBS Pro Plus, uh, if you're doing 4K at XAVC, so not RAW, uh, you're getting about 20 minutes on those 64-gig cards. That's what I just said. Hmm? I just said that. I know. Okay. Kind of. Didn't I? Okay. I was just translating it. Okay. You were like just looking up something on the internet and didn't hear me talking. <laughs> hey, um, it's confusing. This is why yeah, it takes confusing. so many days to sort of no, soak all this stuff up. Okay. So there's a couple of other things we want to flag before we get to sort of a, what does this mean? Um, firstly, there's new batteries that are coming with this suck, uh, sucker. And these new batteries are meant to be U-Butte, marvelous, wonderful, um, best batteries ever. And I'm just going to put that to one side and say that, okay, don't know, haven't played with it. I'll take yep. that as red. Yep. But the name of it is Olivine, and uh, it's basically a better lithium battery as far as I can guess. Yeah. Um, second thing that's new with these is a new line of um, PL mount lenses from Sony. Now, they had three PLs before in a set. Yeah. So they they've three. got a add to your set set, which fills out your set, or you just, if you bought any so far, you could buy the complete set, which would be a 20, a 25, a 35, a 50, 85, and 135, all T2. Uh, and, you know, looked like they were pretty solid. Um, yeah, now these uh, are, you know, Sony are well aware that the the first round of those primes, 25, 35, I don't think what it was, 50? I can't remember what it was. Wasn't it the 35? Anyway, the whichever 50, it was, the one was missing. The first three lenses that came with the F3 or were pa- pa- packageable with the F3 kit um, had a few issues. Apart from being a bit bulky, the, there was some issues with lens travel and things like that and marking. So they cleared all that up. These new lenses are a slightly more um, streamlined form factor. We haven't seen anything in the hand yet, but uh, just know that. Uh, the last, you know, the original lenses that came with F3 are not so um, a thing of the past. Uh, although, the, as you say, that add to your existing kit um, uh, kit allows you to put your bigger, bulky lenses in with these smaller ones. It's not quite such a streamlined kit. But uh, from what we can, I mean, if you if you look at how much those original lens kit was, well, I think it was like six or seven grand for the three. 
this works out. This this should work out as uh, quite an affordable, particularly with the with the updates and the rebuilds and extended focus, instant, extended focus range and things, or extended focus marking range, I guess, extended focus travel. Uh, this should be quite an affordable and I'm sure better built kit and should be a really good option actually. I'd like them a little faster than T2. I'd like them faster as and well. And I'd like them to have the iTech technology, um, but that's just my personal yep, thing. Yep, because the cameras are capable of it, but uh, these lenses aren't. Uh, I think, you know, that's a different level of production. Uh, if, you're, if you'll find yourself in a situation where you need a lot of eye data, then you, you rent, separate, rent or buy separate lenses. These are more for your everyday and non-visual effects, or I guess you know, there's plenty of productions that don't need, uh, don't need that data. The other thing to say is this is a pretty modular camera setup, so uh, we haven't discussed it yet, and I don't think we should go too far into this, though, a little perhaps, but um, there are a range of options for viewfinders. Now, somebody did a mock-up, I think, on Red User and had a flip-out screen on it. This yes, is not the case at all. Completely wrong. Um, this, and I think they don't know how serious that was, but you, there are a combination of um, LCD type that can bracket on and uh, also yeah. an OLED. Um, yeah, there's a really nice uh, 720p OLED. looks very much like the Alexa sort of for, format or a bomb. It uh, looks very nice, and there's a 7-inch LCD monitor only, and there's what you've probably seen pictured by now is the 3.5-inch monitor stroke viewfinder, clip, clip the loop kind of thing off, and you have a, um, you can look through and or flip all, flip all of it off and the hood off and anything, and you've got a, an LCD there. Uh, it's all articulated on a, on a mounting arm that's positionable and, and mountable and plenty of places around the camera. One of the issues with, uh, say, the F3 and, uh, you know, cameras of, of late is the fact that, well, I've got one viewfinder and it's stuck on the back, but I really want to put this thing on my shoulder. I've really thought about the fact that this stuff, like the Alexa, you can put this on the shoulder, have the weight comfortably balanced and get a viewfinder to your eye perfectly. Uh, or put a view, you know, if you're standing up and working off a tripod, flip it all off and just go with a viewfinder. So this is, uh, you know, flexible in these uh, um, uh you know, flexible in this department for sure, which is something that was really needed, and no doubt uh, has result been as a result of industry feedback. So the cameras have a wide gamut. Uh, they use the S Log two gamma curve, so you can get a really nice uh, signal out. Anyone who's used an F sixty five will know it's very well set up for an ACES workflow. Um, very high, uh, very wide color gamut, which gives you tremendous, you know, high potential opportunities. Okay, so just the only thing I haven't mentioned is the frame rates. So these cameras can shoot off speed. It's dramatically affected by whether or not you have that uh, raw recorder on the uh, on the back or not. You can do some uh, recording off speed without the raw recorder on the back. So, for example, in the um, you know uh, F5, for example, you could go to 120 frames if you're using that XAVC HD codec. Stick the raw recorder on the back, you can make that 120 frames in like 2K, but in raw. And don't forget, whenever you basically stick that recorder on the F5, it's raw. Just think of it as like a... Because it's not going to be that expensive. Yeah. It's not going to be super expensive because it's not got a lot of smarts in it. Yeah, or so 60 it, frames a second in 4K with that raw recorder. Yeah, absolutely. On the F5. Now, that's yes, important. On, on the, the F5. F55... On board, uh, you can do 120 frames a second, again, using that um, XAVC. If you stick the raw recorder on the back, you can go up to a, to 240 frames a second in 2K raw yep. or 60 frames a second in 4K raw. Now, the only thing I'd say about this is um, I, 
I would like it if well, I guess you should comment on this because it's your your assertion, but I'd like it if we could actually record some 4K higher frame rates on board um, the F55. Like, I think it'd be nice to be able to get up and start getting some, you know, without a raw recorder, because the raw recorder is good, but it is, as I say, kind of dumb. So you're generating not only a lot of frames, a lot of data. So it's going to be a lot of actual gigabytes at the end of the day to offload. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I just quickly want to say is with all of these 2K, there's no sense of crop with any of this stuff. It's all running full frame. You go to 2K, go to HD, and there's no cropping whatsoever. You're always working with the full Super 35 part of the sensor. Um, oh, I said I was going to go off the reservation. So let me just do that and say what our guesstimates are on pricing because there is no formal pricing from Sony. Yeah. Okay, you do yours and I'll do mine. So these are just guesses now, but uh, I think that the F5 is going to come in between uh, 20000 25000 I think the um, the recorder, this raw recorder we're talking about, will be like about 19000 And then the F55 will clock in at around 60000 $65,000, being um, a bit under what the uh, F65 is. But having said that, and, and I know you're about to give your numbers, after we've discussed this, you should flag the fact that perhaps, perhaps in reflection of these cameras coming out from Sony, Red dropped their prices. So maybe they're more aggressive than we think. But Yes, yes, that's another whole story in itself that um, literally yesterday uh, Jim announced that they will be dropping prices on Epics first and Skulls. First of November. First of November. Yes, first he said just the Epics, then he said the Skulls yeah. as well. Basically, you know, they've, they've um, paid off all of their initial uh, costs of development all their sort of one-off costs of development, which they don't need to, you know, which is they don't need as an ongoing, now it's a sort of going concern. Uh, so they can either keep on charging you the same old money and, and uh, pocketing the difference or uh, bring out new cameras to justify the, uh, uh, just to justify keeping these ones, uh, uh, to justify lowering the costs on these. But I think they're just going to lower the costs. So again, we don't know what those prices are going to be. Um, but it's interesting timing, as always. Um, hey, yeah, it's it's it's. So, a what are your estimates on it's the competitive? What business. are your estimates on the um, well cameras? Uh, we were the same on the F five. I'm thinking around twenty five. And I got to say, that we know nothing. We have not been. Uh, we've been given nothing. This is completely off the top of our heads. Um, we we've not been given any. Uh, if you've seen prices on the net then they're wrong. They have not come from any sources. Sony themselves have said there is no fixed prices, no firm prices. It's all made up, or it's come out out, out of the backside of uh, some rep. Uh, 25K, I think, for the F5, given the fact that uh, F3 is, so what does it say, about 15 or so K? And the F3 is not dead. It's not dying. It's staying. It's uh, still staying as part of the um, uh, part of the lineup. F55... I think it needs to be given the you know that it is competing with uh, Epic. I think uh, I'm going to say more around the 45k mark. Okay. The uh, SSD module, the uh, dockable recorder, the AXSR5. I think because what they're also doing is marketing the R5 recorder as a 4K recording solution, and this is, I don't know if this has been announced yet, but uh, 
I don't believe it's embargoed, is that this is the recorder to be to, to let you achieve 4K recording uh, on the FS700. So I think it needs to, although Sony have often had a recorder that is more expensive than the camera it, it fits on, uh, I like to. Re- I reckon it should be around 10k for that for that module. So that makes an F55 with the, and we're imagining these cameras are going to come with some sort of probably with with the uh, the EVF. So apart from media, you're going to have a camera that's say 55 grand, which is significantly cheaper than a an Alexa, significantly cheaper than a. Um, F65 on your doorstep? I wouldn't have agreed with you, except for Red dropping their prices. To me, looks like Red saying, we are determined to be seen as being cheaper than the other guys, so yeah. we're going to drop our prices. So with that in mind, you're probably right, but I, I'll, I'll keep my initial numbers in, until we find out what's going on. Yeah. Now, I'm going to go back to the Red dropping their prices. I don't want to come across as the fact that I think they're being sneaky or there's anything underhanded or anything no. sort of tactical or anything. I just think, look, hey, yeah, look, every every time you, you, you open your, your laptop, there's a new camera system. And uh, although very competitive, the Epics have been around for, you know, a year plus or so, which is a long time in, in, the, in the world of cameras. So, look, say, hey, it's, you know, if you can drop the price, great, drop the price. Yeah. You have the ability to either gouge more or drop the price, great. Good on him for, for doing that. The Epic's going to go to 6K as well with the Dragon chip, which will now be out sort of February to uh, April next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently that's going to require an Epic upgrade beyond just the sensor, whereas right. initially it had just been the sensor. But they're holding the line at 6K on that. So obviously we're not talking necessarily apples to apples. I don't, I don't need... Still don't know a price for that upgrade yet, though. Six. It is six. I think, yeah. I can't remember. Maybe we do. Yeah, it's and been a long time. I think it's been it's a long expensive. time since we announced versus the actually the ability to actually get it. The epic upgrade I want for the dynamic range, not for the you know going up to six k. I don't really sort of. I don't look at five k and go, oh god, if I only had another k, I'd be there. Yeah. But I do say I'd like more dynamic range, and I I think they know that. I really, think. I'm just constantly amazed. I'm just constantly amazed at how I'll shoot something on the epic. And just the ability to, if I go, oh, that is shot, that shot is screwed. Forget it. I'll get it into Red Cine X and just grab the exposure slider, boom. Wow, would never be able to tell. Hasn't got noise yet, hasn't got anything. It just, I'm just constantly amazed at the ability uh, in Red Code to be able to pull stuff around that is significantly under or over and uh and save it with no no problems yeah, so no, you know, I think raw is i probably poo-pooed you know i mean there's the whole thing is 10 8 bits 10 bits or whatever is okay if it's the right 8 bits or 10 bits but but it also is if you shot it correctly and there's no issues and no and and you've 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 exposed it right um or you don't need to get any extra information out of anything but i'm i think raw is still definitely no no raw is the way to go yeah and uh, okay, I'm, still, I'm very if I didn't impressed get, with, with If I didn't get more latitude, I would definitely say my... Okay, so my sort of subset of that is I'd like uh, a more sensitive chip. I'd like this not yeah. at 800 ISO. I'd yeah. like at 2,000, 2,400 kind of range. Um, even if the same latitude but more sensitive, I would take that and... Not hugely, it. but yeah. If I think, yeah, just... Uh, 800's a bit... Yeah, it's, it's so off. last year. Yeah, stop and a half, a couple of stops more if you can. A couple without, of stops, useful without. when you go off speed. Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think start losing that is quickly. probably where, and you know, Red Bull no doubt would acknowledge this quietly, I'm sure, that that in terms of the low light, particularly what Sony's doing, um, are kicking Epic to the curb in that particular department, I think. Hey, so let's discuss how this would now work. So let's say I've got an F55 set up. I want to go out and do some cool stuff. And I've got a sensible set of kit that includes the digital uh, raw recorder. Um, so I could be recording simultaneously uh, XAVC 2K on it and 2K raw at the back. I could be recording um, XD cam on the SYS cards and recording 4K uh, up the back. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Exactly right. You don't need to have... Editors do not have to even see any of the raw. They don't have to touch any of that. You can just be giving them very nice, handy, drag-and-drop 1080p files uh, that are completely matched and paired and time-code identical to the um, uh, raw files which you can keep and and archive and stand by ready for grading. Of course, no use if nobody can read the files. And here we can report that both Adobe and Avid actually have beta plugins that are reading the XAVC um, and uh, reading it pretty successfully. So we don't even in a position that you've got the only format that no one can read. <laughs> and so therefore yeah. you can't do anything with the files. That seems to be something that'll uh, get fixed pretty quickly. The- the uh, uh, the um, trick will be obviously we want to have base light, film light. We want to have res- resolve. Oh, yep. We want to have all of these other things. Being able to read the raw um, XAVC. No, the uh, yes. What do we call well, the raw and the XAVC? Yeah, the right? raw and the XAVC. These two new formats. We want uh, we want all that stuff to be uh, readable. But well, we've got a few months yet. If to, that wasn't to, enough, yeah, exactly. When, actually, when are these going to be hitting the streets? When do we think we will actually see them in the wild? Uh, I th- um, Before NAB is what I understood, right? Like Yes, uh, pre-NAB. Sort of shipping like Feb, March. February, yeah, ship, shipping Feb, March, and I think it was pricing end of this year. So something that... Obviously, because um, you're going to need to be able to buy them. Yeah, and so, also, here's the other thing. The... the component shortage out of Japan has now sort of passed. Prices have come back down. Yep. But obviously if you are Sony, you want to wait until you're close to shipping to know what the current kind of ebb and flow of uh, component pricing is on some of this stuff and what your yields are. So I understand that. And I think there is a valid um, I guess workflow for them to be able to announce this stuff and get a little bit of feedback on pricing, a bit more feedback on pricing and or start to to hear conjecture about what it is, and, and as you say, establish pricing around about the time when you need to be selling them. It's great to get out there. Oh, um, I guess this is uh, interesting that they're not launching at any particular. Oh, uh, maybe there is there is there is one. There's the Asian, I, I think Asian having it, trade show. I think having it ready to go for NAB. So you turn up at NAB and they're all yep. ready to rock. Absolutely, um, it should be working because I think this because by then they would have shipped by NAB. Yeah, I think the F5 is a hugely popular camera for doing um, the sort of work that uh, television would be interested in. I mean, but what's awesome, I think, about them is the modular is that you don't have to battle. Hi, you have this. You have this range of codecs, right? You can. You don't even have to take the recorder with you if you just if you know uh, the S by S and um, uh, XAVCs and, or or um, 
uh, SR is going to be fine for you and uh, put the raw recorder on the back when you know you, you want it. Also, um, something that's modular in the sense that it's an extra module that uh, can be removable is audio. So there's an interchangeable audio sort of unit on the side. You can either have that supporting uh, two channels with you know XLRs. There's going to be another version, actually sort of 1.1, which will support four-channel uh, AES audio. So you have a choice there in terms of audio specifications as well. Yeah, that's right. Now, I'm going to talk about the, um, the dockable thing, the recorder. Now, where I think this is the get-out-of-jail-free card and doesn't break the rule, it's the fact that this thing uh, is a module. It's modular. It docks on the back. All the data, all the power all passes through. No external cables. No... Um, if, if this had been a camera that had that raw thing right on the back and there was no little seam there and it had the option, we'd say, great, it, it's, 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 it's recording its own shit. It's a pretty fine line, my friend, between this and a small codex box sitting on the back of a this camera. This camera is recording its... If you put the module on the back, this camera is recording its own shit. Yeah, if my, you put a, the if whole you put basis a, of the rule because is, you have, is an external thing, Yeah. apart from the extra cost, and again, that is an argument we can't have yet because we don't know what it's going to cost yet. But the whole basis for the rule is the extra, extra third-party thing that you have to find bracketry for, mounted somewhere, it's hanging off the back. There's the extra cables, points of failure. It's another thing to charge, another thing to power, cables to power it, okay? I think, and I'm not just trying to be pro flying any Sony flags here, but I think if it's modular and it docks on the the back, we don't complain with, you know, we don't, uh, there's any any of the modules for red, we don't sort of consider that to be, you know, a third-party thing. If it docks on the back and no extra stuff and it's just adding a little bit more weight and um, it's adding functionality, I think that's okay. Uh, so I'm there's a bit of a get-out-of-jail card here. I'm calling although bullshit because I tell you why. Firstly, you always stick lots of stuff on a camera. I mean, who hasn't been on set with their Epic and it's just uh, completely sure. covered in extra stuff? Because no one is going to use that like it looks in the brochure without rods, without... Yep. Um, uh, follow focuses without a ton of other stuff. So yep. okay, so I have one more bracket. Quite frankly, you you get said the man who's sitting there in post production world. I'm sorry. Oh come on, you have more brackets and clever little s bendy things and things than any man walking. And and then and secondly, I hate, and I work tirelessly hours to try and make everything streamlined. The other thing is that a lot of the cameras that can't necessarily record their own shit is that when this camera walks out the door and you buy it, you don't have a 4K, you don't have you don't have the ability to record its uh, higher rates uh, because nothing's been invented yet or you can't buy anything. You know, the, the third what? party haven't developed it yet. The, 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 the camera, uh, depo- the, cam- the, 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 the manufacturer can, has Before the C500 this was... Is a, this is a 6K camera. Six, at the moment it does 1080p, uh, like 6K the, pending. Like the FS700? Absolutely. Okay. That, that camera breaks the rule. Okay. Um, this one doesn't because the recorder is going to ship at the same time, um, as I understand, as the camera. Yeah, well, so does the codex. So thanks. Um, the other thing that's only interestingly packaged as part of the same kind of uh, workflow solution is a 4K monitor. Mm. This is a 30-inch LCD. It's not an OLED, um, but it's a 30-inch 4096 by 2160, 10-bit. Yep. Um, Looks very much like the uh, OLED PVM, uh, the PVM OLED 25-inch, but just, you know, obviously slightly larger. Uh, 
And the funny thing about this is you can actually have four HD images running on each four corners of it, and then a fifth one running in the middle if you really wanted to. Yeah, um, you can switch from HD or 4K sources. Which right? makes it the perfect thing to have in bars so that you can watch all the channels simultaneously <laughs> yeah, without actually hearing any of the audio. Of um, Look, I mean, it's good to have... There, I don't think there really is that many 4K options in this size. So uh, It'll, of course, zoom 2K or HD out to fill out the screen, if you want to do that, or quad view or the 4K mute. Yep. Um, do we have any idea on price on this? Uh, any guesses? Yeah. Uh, well, I think my guess is going to be less than what Sony's guess is. <laughs> Uh, I was sort of working out the fact that since it's about whatever five grand or so for the four K for the HD twenty five inch OLED, that a non OLED slightly larger four K monitor slightly from twenty five. There's a twenty. Yours is twenty five inch. Hang on a second. Uh, I, I thought you meant in pixels. You mean in no? In okay, in slightly larger in physical screen yep. size. Uh, so if you can buy a HD OLED 25-inch for, say, 5K, I would have thought a 4K, you know, 5 inches, what is it, 32? What, how big is this one? 30. 30. So 5 inches larger screen, uh, not OLED but LCD. Uh, I would have thought it should be maybe 10 Twelve, I'm. That's 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 yeah, my I guess, like and 22. I think I predict it's going to be more. Yes, yeah. twenty two. Twenty 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 ish grand. Okay. Um. Okay. So, what did you think of it? What did you think looking at the pictures? Forget the money. What do you think of looking at four K imagery on a four K screen? Oh, are you. Okay. Sorry, I thought you were talking about the. Uh... I'm just talking about what do you think of four K monitors? I'm not talking. Yeah. Just... Uh, well, I had okay. I was sort of a bit, 4K has been, yeah, that's nice, nice, you know, nice if you can, nice if you can, nice if you have it, but no biggie. I wasn't really massively, I thought, you know, 4K, 5K as an acquisition, terrific, to down, then downscale to, to 2K and, you know, what, what's what's the real point? Um, 1080p, nice projected. 1080p, nice projected. 1080p, you know, on a, uh, on a 50-inch plasma can look great. Mm-hmm. Um uh, sort of, and I'd been to a few 4K, you know, sourced f- the odd 4K presentation in 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 Sydney, and recently saw some uh, Sony, uh, some Canon stuff projected in 4K. And I thought, yeah, that's quite nice. Until I saw the new domestic, in inverted commas, 84 inch uh, 4K LED from Sony, which we saw. Uh, at uh, Sony HQ here, which, uh, Mike, I think you would agree with me, was mind-bendingly, face-smackingly amazing. It was pretty. Hmm? It was very pretty. It was pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. I've never seen... 4K, you know, there's that... 4K and 2K at a distance, to me, has never been that much... I've never, I've never really seen that much difference. Too much, you know. To be honest, and it could have been just, you know, the projector or the way the projectors are set up, or 
I, I don't know, I've never really been been blown away by a 4K image, and this isn't even quite. You know, this is like the domestic 4K. This is Quad HD 3.8K, I guess you'd call it. And I was just astounded at the level of detail, and I could. Uh, although I guess it's 84 inches, I was probably probably sitting. I don't know, maybe six feet away. And it filled your ten feet away, maybe it filled filled your filled your vision, just like sitting in the cinema. The level of detail was astounding. We were watching F sixty five footage on it, um, uh, going via single HDMI, I think. Right? I think the idea was that uh, the the HDMI spec can handle this 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 because um, at the point of at the point of projecting or rather displaying four K you can basically get down to much lower data mm. rates than you are. Yeah, so this was coming off a PC via so a single HDMI, and it was astounding. It actually has, astounding. does have 3G HDI, SDI four times ports on it, or mm. four 3G HDSDI ports, and also two display ports. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And four HDMIs, I think. Yeah, uh, I, but I it's twenty five grand. But you know, it's a little bit out of my range. But uh, in the future, I can. It what it what it the upshot of it was that uh, I guess I'd been poo pooing four K as a consumer thing. Like you know, HD is perfectly fine enough. Who cares about four K apart from the fact that there's no content? It didn't really matter, but I well, thought I this say, is not really going to catch on as people are just not going to see the difference and not really going to care much. I mean, it's been a tough enough adoption for, say, Blu-ray that, uh, I mean, people are buying Blu-rays now just because, and people buy a Blu-ray player over a DVD player just because they're really cheap now, and they'll do, you know, because they're there and they can play both and, you know, and it's no biggie. But oh, I've never really seen a 4K future for I've, domestic until this point. Uh, Blu-rays? Oh, my God. The number of... You know what I hate about Blu-rays? I hate that you can buy a Blu-ray and it won't play on your Blu-ray player. Yeah. Like every other DVD plays in your DVD player unless you yeah. buy it from overseas. Yeah, the whole copy protection, all oh, that sort yes, of thing just with completely some... sucks. Oh. And that sucks with DVDs as well. But yes, the utter, the utter copy protection bullshit that goes on. Your uh, Blu-ray player, sorry, is not doesn't have the right version of software or your disc is has a higher version of software than your player does. Or please connect your DVD player to the internet. Which of course everyone's is not. So uh, my my, DV, my Blu-ray player has a USB thing, and I'm to upgrade. And I, so I've downloaded it, and I put it on this USB. And even getting a USB that'll work in it in the TV and in my Mac is hard enough. Yeah, and I put the file on it. I do all the instructions, and it just doesn't make any goddamn difference. Yeah, they have they have ruined that format. Yeah, it is, they've, and I'm exactly yeah. the kind of guy that would spend money on Blu-rays. Yeah, and I would now. If the format was wasn't enough to sort of you know no. sour that whole thing the and extend way, the adoption, yeah, it's just crap. confusion. Uh, then all that, yes, that all that sort of update software bullshit and disc oh, format is that. just is complete bollocks. Versus, so that alone will kill will kill. Um, you know, but having said hard, that, hard media, you can go to the you know Apple Store, download an HD movie that plays pretty easily. Yep. So that's why these guys are yeah. brain dead. Yeah. But I, th- I guess anyway, watching, looking at this monitor, and if if somehow if, if you've got access to it, if it's around, or if they're doing a bit of a road show, I know the there's not many of these monitors around, but they are shipping, and uh, they are doing the odd, odd the odd sort of consumer domestic kind of tours, or should be able to be seen in your local high end um, home theater 
shop, I guess. Uh, go and see it because, wow, I, I think it, as I say, it definitely changed my mind as to the fact that 4K, is 4K worth it for the home? It, is there a future in this? Is it just too much for the average consumer to even notice? Okay, so let me just... If the... If the yeah, media is there to okay. be seen. Let me um, let me just quickly before we get on to the A ninety nine, just ask you these questions: Would you, in the right circumstances, see yourself buying an F five, buying an F fifty five, or buying a four K telly? I think for the right gig, an F five certainly. The fact that you can still do two K and four K with it, it's got great frame rate. Still, there's a lot of it's just it's kind of the difference between a Scarlet and an Epic. Really, is that it two even when one's kind of 4K and one's kind of 5K, but it's similar enough um, and, and there's just really just frame rate limitations between the two. I think there's enough... Um, F55 is more heading into the um, high-end owner-operator or rental, and F5, I think, will definitely uh, have some adoption for sure. It's very capable and for 90% of jobs I think it's going to be an absolute killer. It's small. This thing, you know, I don't know if the specs are out there, but 130 13, pretty much 13 and a half by 12 by 20 centimeters long really. It's quite small uh, really quite compact and as I said we can strip it all down and uh, uh, make, you know you don't have to have all the modules on uh, if you don't need them. So I think it's I think it's 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 very good, very clever, and the ability to be able to not have the module, not have the the raw recorder on the back, and just record by an S by S record on very simple, small, portable. Get some beautiful results. Shoot two K. Uh, essentially, look at look at what ninety percent, or I guess especially for TVCs and for long form or series, the a lot of Alexa work is not recording to uh, um, uh, outboard recorders. It's not using the ARRI RAW. A lot of it's just doing 1080p. This will shoot 1080p and beyond. You'll be able to do 2K straight to the S-by-S card uh, in a f- something smaller, way smaller and lighter than an Alexa at, um, what is it? We're talking like a quarter of the price. I think it's, and still have some frame rates to, to spare. I think it's bloody impressive, and now they've changed all that viewfinder and stuff over from the way the F3 w- was was working. Um, it's got a grown-up lens mount and the ability to not be stuck with PL. You can use that lens mount adapter and put... Uh, there's a million uh, lens, thanks to the fact that they've carried this mount over from F3, there's a million options out there for uh, if you want to use your existing uh, Canon glass or Leica glass or whatever it be. So uh, F5 is uh, definitely um, looking good to me. Okay, well, let's change gears now because for some people... You know, even that kind of money is way out of their league. Um, yes. If I told you Canon was releasing a new uh, camera that was a, like an, a new SLR, basically like an updated type 5D Mark III type thing that was going to shoot full HD 1920 by 1080 up to 60p, had a flip-out screen, um, had a, you know, 24 megabit sort of standard um, nice high-res shiny little thing could record you know uh, maybe higher frame rates than we're used to in terms of the um, recording to the internal cards and uh, in addition to having sort of dual slots 
had a whole bunch of other cool stuff like internal stabilization stuff, automatic panning, stitching together stuff in built-in, uh, automatic HDR modes, face tracking, could do focus face tracking. So if you're doing a push-in shot on a dolly, it would find the face and hold focus. Mike, stop, in. stop, stop. This is not the Canon that I know. And it was only 28,000, 2,800, I should say, 2,800. It's definitely not the Canon I know. 2,800, would you be interested? Absolutely. Sign me up. Okay. The, F, the, the Mark, 5D Mark III is on eBay already. Okay. Because that's pretty much the specs of the Sony A99. Um, it's also got, I should point out, uncompressed HDMI out the side. Now, is there something with the viewfinder as well? It's not optical? Is it OLED viewfinder? It's, yes, exactly. It's not an optical yeah. viewfinder, so which you, means unlike you can hold the 5D Mark III, I can hold it to my eye. hold it to your eye. And record video. Yeah, which, as we know, makes things incredibly stable if you're going to go for the very small, sort of the smallest of um, form factors for doing handheld. So... And clean HDMI out, I think. Clean HDMI clean out. Clean HDMI now, out not in April. now. Not in April. Um, and it's uh, obviously because it is Sony uh, AVC HD so we're talking 28 megabits per second Um, you also have uh, an ISO range of 100 to 25,600 thereabouts Um, video ISO is more like 100 to 6400 and um, yeah as I said incredible low light release next month well it's out now but it's in the sense that it's out in the public being tested right. but you can buy one from a shop uh, next month okay well the uh, uh, all the test stuff so far as you're talking about before um, as the, the imagery is just looking outstanding I mean we definitely want to get and we'll get our hands on one and uh, have a play all the more so once I read the laundry list of specs just then Mike you're really opening my eyes the only problem I have with it it's and it's a big one and the reason I'm personally not putting money down right now is it's an alpha mount so I've got lots of Canon glass yes. I'm in the Canon ecosphere so it's kind of hard to adapt those to a Sony mount and get the advantage of all the clever stuff I was just talking to about the like Canon face- mount the Canon mount to Alpha, yeah. and get the face tracking, auto focus pulling. Does it? Okay, no, it I doesn't. know. Obviously, you got, the meta bo- you got the meta, the meta bones, uh, and I think there's also one or two other options to go from from Alpha mount or E mount to uh, to Canon to EOS. And I, bel- you know, I think a lot of the test cameras from Sony have been coming out with that mount too, to give people the option to, to to play with their existing glass. Canon, you know, Sony, well, 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 know that this is it's not an issue, but they're aware that there is other <laughs> that there may be the odd lens out there that isn't that isn't made by them. So uh, there's definitely there is definitely options out there uh, to get these other lenses on, and it's not not crazy. So as I said at the outset of the show, we got to talk to um, Jerome Thelia, and I'm. Probably saying Jerome's surname wrong, and I apologise about that. And David McLean. Now, Jerome's actually, um, I guess, a colourist. Uh, he handles a lot more of the the workflow. I think he goes beyond just being a colourist. Uh, he and David are um, are a great team. David, uh, as I said at the outset, terrific photographer who is also a DOP, but he's done a bunch of stuff for the National Geographic. Just incredible stuff in Greenland and uh, and Singapore and all over the world. Anyway, so uh, David and Jerome got to put together a proposal to pitch to Sony to do a video to show the work of the um, of the camera, the A99. And they literally uh, travelled around the world. There's, I thought they'd only gone to three countries. They ended up going to about six um, in Asia, in Europe, and just produced a really good 
um, sort of demo video. Now, I'm probably like you guys, a little sort of war-weary of people just producing yep, happy... absolutely. This is actually a really good one. This yeah. <laughs> has a kind of a theme to it. Um, it's quite a personal piece about why David is a... Well, David does what he does, basically. And for that reason, I found it uh, worth hanging around for. I didn't, you know, quite often... Even with uh, time-lapse type stuff, looks gorgeous. You can find yourself hitting the fast-forward knob really quickly. It has a lot less of a... It doesn't look... It looks... It looks more filmic, you know, I think. Yeah. What I've seen is it doesn't look so... DS, I mean, obviously, DSLRs are getting better and better, but it doesn't look so DSLR-ish to me, the footage I've seen. But it's obviously good to talk to both of them because David, in terms of how the camera worked, and Jerome, in terms of... Um, you know, how it was to grade and, and work with the footage. I was so pleased to see the film, The Calling, that I actually spent a bit of time talking to them um, at the outset of this interview just about how they pulled the project together and, and, and how they sort of came to do it because there is a lot of really nice uh, footage. It is a sort of a personal piece. I was wondering, for example, had they done the entire thing based on, you know, places they'd shot before for commercials or whatever? Was this just something that um, they were sort of revisiting places they'd been or was it in fact uh, new ground that they hadn't walked before and so Jace this is our um, basically first hand account of what it's like to work with this new amazing A99 You are entering the Red Room With David's background as a geographic photographer and our background together having traveled a lot we sort of have a a repertoire of, of a number of places but what we tried to do with the locations would, was find a, a mixture of, of places where we knew we would get great light, that there would be interesting locations, but ones that, that weren't too cliche, that people hadn't seen so many times before. So we used sort of a mix of places that we had been to before or that we wanted to go, and, uh, and we shot an awful lot of stuff. I mean, we shot 73 hours of footage, I think, wow. uh, in the end. Which is strange because we've traveled a, a fair bit uh, over the years, and you know, we sat when we got the gig. We sat um, on the phone. And we're like, okay, where should we go? Which is a pretty, pretty amazing position to be in. Like, literally, we could have went anywhere in the world, and we started looking at maps. And um, I think I don't know if we intentionally, or unintentionally, wound up going places that we had never been. But I'm, I was kind of glad that we did. It really, it gave a, a bigger sense of exploration and. Um, and, you know, spontaneity. And I think that's one of the things that, well, I know that we really tr- strive hard to achieve is a, a balance between, um, you know, planning and improvisation. And because our backgrounds are, uh, you know, equally weighted in the commercial and editorial space, I don't know, it just makes sense to do a shoot that way where you're, you're sure you're planning and you're producing, but, you know, you'll, you can throw it all away at minutes notice and go down a different road if you want what were you sort of doing in terms of so that we know how big a camera is it's really small what were you doing in terms of uh other rigs uh sliders steady cams i mean how much clobber how much gear did you have with you how quickly could you move we had um well our total crew was five yeah five and we had eight check bags for five people so not much you know, like we each had a rolling pelican. One one rolling pelican that we carried on was the the digikit. One was uh, uh, two were camera gear, and one was uh, Kessler motor and rig. And then uh, we 
we traveled with a Kessler crane and uh, um, Steadicam. Yeah, that was it. And and, and actually, we had a box of Synthate um, rig that we never used. We never opened it once because um, the you know the camera had was, was really. Um, yeah, it just had significantly less rolling shutter than we thought that it would. So we didn't use any of the Cinevate stuff at all the whole time, even though we carried it with us. Yeah, we, we, we really are. I mean, it, as you know, it's like the, the size of the rest of the camera department all kind of starts with, with the camera. When you yeah. have a camera this small, um, it's uh, even the, the Steadicam Zephyr, which is a, a, a smaller as far as Steadicams goes, is almost overkill for that camera. And when you start to get used to being able to just pull the camera out of your bag and shoot, it, it's uh, the idea of going to a, a you know a twenty minute or half an hour camera setup sort of start, starts to fall by the wayside the more that the more that you shoot. So I mean I, I'd say we ended up shooting probably uh, I'd say eighty ninety percent of the time on steps or, or, or just handheld. All right. Well, let's... yeah, and that's why we were able to get I think so much of the light is that. Um, it, like our literally all we had to do to shoot was power the camera on, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and it's just so much easier to get content on the fly when, when that's the only obstacle to shooting it. Well, also if you're shooting people that aren't actors, then you don't want to be imposing a huge amount of setup time in front of them or near them because the moment's lost, right? Right. Absolutely. Exactly. Hey, um, so let's just and that talk. counts, you know. Let's talk about the, the imagery just uh, before we get to the camera. One last thing. How much is this graded and how did you grade it? I mean, what, what are we looking at in terms of the, the pipeline of when you finished the material and had the cut? How did you grade it? It's, yeah, it's a good question. Well, my background uh, in part is as a, as a colorist. Uh, I've been working with, uh, with Scratch for, well, since I think version, version two, um, uh, back a, a number of years. So it, it was graded in Scratch. We our pipeline was to convert all the ABCHD, which is what we shot on uh, on this camera. You can shoot either ABCHD or MP4. We chose, of course, ABCHD because it's because it's better. And uh, we transcoded everything to ProRes, which you know I guess if we had cut in something other than Final Cut, maybe Premiere, we would have been able to cut the ABCHD directly. But um, I'm a little bit old school that way, and that I mean, just having nice solid ProRes files to cut an FCP made sense. And then I directed the pro, or I, I graded the ProRes files in uh, in Scratch. Um, so I mean, you know, as a colorist, you could imagine there there is a fair amount of grading. But um, on the other hand, I, you know, I have a tendency to take a, a sort of a, a light approach to to grading. I don't, you know, I don't use any 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 presets. I I sort of grade from more with a sort of a feature film sort of touch, uh, not so much a, a, a heavily manipulated commercial touch. Um, so, I mean, I, I should every- say, Jerome, I, I think there's nothing wrong with grading. In fact, the exact opposite. I think that one of the advantages of this camera seems to be that you can set it up well for doing grading. And I know some people are apologetic, oh, the pictures have, you know, been affected or not affected. But as far as I'm concerned, grading is just as valid or creative part of the process as anything else. I mean, well, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I, one of the things that we did um, was to uh, use the uh, the creative style settings on on the on the camera, which are these sort of the, the sort of the digital signal processing that goes on the camera to get as neutral uh, and low contrast of a 
uh, of, of dynamic range as, as we could, so the images would be eminently gradable. So we had fairly desaturated, fairly low contrast images uh, going into the grade, and it's something that I, I spent I spent some time working out before uh, before we took off on the shoot. And for those people that don't know the AVC HD format so well, just describe it in terms of like uh, bit depth and uh, and how you sort of found it in terms of grading latitude and stuff. Well, um, um, but this is not a, a huge area of expertise. I, mean, I think it's it's fairly comparable to the MP4 codec. I think the new MP4 codec that the 5Ds shoot uh, actually has a, a higher data rate than 28. It, it, I could be wrong. It, you, you probably know more about that than I do. But the thing I found with AVCHD relative to MP4 is that it, it does seem to have a higher dynamic range, and it does feel less compressed. I mean, it's still a heavily compressed 8-bit codec. Um, we're not talking about Cinema DNG or, or, or ProRes or, or Red Raw or Airy Raw here, but we're talking about something that is uh, closer to MP4 than that, but it seems to me a step above. And having graded... Well, a lot of 5D uh, commercials and a, and a couple features, I'm sort of very, very aware of, of the limitations in the dynamic range and, and how, how the compression can really fall apart, especially in, in the blacks using that, that, mm. that kind of codec. And the ABCHD, I mean, without having done a side-by-side test with, with other cameras or even with this camera shooting MP4, seems to me to be have a, a better dynamic range and, and, and the images feel less compressed, especially in, in, in the blacks. But David, if you wanted to shoot, say, green screen to do some work that's sort of more studio-based, you could use the uncompressed out, right? Yeah, and we actually did that for, uh, for the behind-the-scenes uh, video. There's, there's a couple green screen shots where we, we recorded out to a, uh, a Ninja um, uh, SSD recorder. And, uh, and that the, the, the camera that we had uh, was limited to 30p for the output, but I believe the, the production camera will actually be able to output the full 60p to uncompressed green screen. Um, so we, we shot a couple shots, we pulled some keys, uh, and uh, and yeah, they held up. They held up really pretty pretty decently. Um, and we we debated whether to shoot to some kind of a of a of a recorder while we were out in the field, and we had one with us the whole time, but it seemed that the trade-off and, and, and setup time and, and, and mobility just wasn't really worth it, given that we were getting such great results with the AVCHD. Is that uncompressed out still an 8-bit out the side? Or? I believe it is still 8-bit. Right. Um, so as I understand it, there's some way of attaching XLRs. Like, does it go directly in the camera? Or is there an additional breakout box? How does that work? Yeah, there's a, um, an additional accessory that allows you to have dual XLR uh, in. It basically just screws on your, your hot shoe. I'm not sure exactly. This hot shoe is not like a normal hot shoe. It, it will accept a normal, a normal strobe, but then there's, um, uh, there's, there's like ele- an ability to communicate electronically within the hot shoe. So the, you mount this, this uh, dual XLR input onto the hot shoe of the camera, and voila. You have dual XLR inputs, and we were really interested in doing um, some steady cam work with that because we thought it opened up some kind of interesting creative opportunities that weren't there before. Um, so we had sound guys in both uh, in both southern Spain and uh, Iceland who we hired, um, and they they were kind of blown away. They 
they thought it was not only unbelievably cool, but but sounded great, um, and, and so did we. David, can I ask you about that Steadicam work? Because I, I believe in some of the shots you used the auto-focusing feature, but I, I would never use autofocus normally um, on a you know Steadicam shot because I'd expect it to, to hunt and seek a lot and not produce adequate results. But how did you find it? Well, it was interesting. It was something that we were we were very um, very curious about and very very interested to to see work. Um, and it, it wasn't it wasn't flawless for sure, but up against. Um, not having it at all and not having the ability to pull focus remotely. Um, I, I thought it was pretty cool and actually, actually were. And I don't understand the technical part of, um, of all of this. It's quite advanced, but from a, you know, from a photographer's point of view, what, what this autofocus does in this camera is it looks for heads and rather than have spots that you're manually moving around so that you're having to constantly recompose to focus and then compose back to the composition you want, you just keep your composition the whole time and these boxes move around and they hunt for heads and they keep the heads sharp. And, you know, obviously if you're shooting a hundred balloons or, uh, you know, 52 golf balls, it's going to have problems knowing which one to go to. But if there's, uh, you know, if there's a few people or foregrounds and back and backgrounds, it, it actually does kind of a mind-blowing job of, um, of keeping them sharp. Now that's the, so, um, I don't know. I'd sum, I'd sum up the, that's oh, the, ahead, a, that's the AFD mode, right? I think the AFD is supported by about six lenses so far. Is that right? And more coming or? It, yeah, that's right. It, it has something to do with the, the chip. I just can't speak to this, but it's a very complex process of putting a sec, a second layer on the, the chip itself, I believe. On the sensor. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The, the sensor, um, so it's it's very it's very advanced and very complicated, and I found it worked at, like in the still photo mode. It it it's, it works unbelievably well, um, and in the video mode, there are certain applications where you could imagine wanting it for sure. Like we we did a shot of this woman where we just had the camera on a a slider and we pushed into her, and as we pushed into her, the camera was pulling focus, and it pulled it really well. We actually did a separate test where the AC we had with us, um, yeah, like really highly skilled focus puller, um, you know, would pull focus on a Hollywood movie. And we did like a side-by-side test where he pulled focus of someone walking to the camera and then the camera pulled focus walking to the camera. And I think at the end he said, there goes my job or something like that. (laughs) Of course, he's still going to have a job for a long time and it's not that simple. But, you know, there are times when you you could use that and would want it. Yeah, David, I just wanted to hit back on one other thing on uh, just uh, an operational level. Just to your eye, how do you find the fold-out screen and the OLED? Like, how do you actually find that? Because uh, I'm really curious from, from your photography point of view the response, the, I guess, the validity of judging off those screens? Yeah, well, the LCD, there's no going back. It's empirical. Like, if you put that LCD screen in a 100 photographer's hands, the second you get that, you will never not use that again. 
I mean, it's it's incredible. You can lay the camera on the ground and flip the screen around and look up at it. You can hold it above your head and look down. You can angle it at 90 degrees or 180 degrees. You can hold the camera at your waist. You can hold the camera off to the side. You can ride on a motorcycle and hold the camera off to the side and down. And I mean, there's almost nowhere you can put the camera where you can't rotate the, the LCD screen to see it. So, um, so I, the EVF is um, it has pros and cons, and I, I think. People who are coming to it from the motion um, world, are, they're not going to have a problem with it at all. I think still photographers are going to have a little bit of a problem adjusting to um, you know, the electronic nature of the viewfinder rather than you know, the optical viewfinder that they've been used to their whole lives. Um, but, of course, the, the huge benefit of it is that you can see what you're shooting in real So you guys time. shot in multiple countries in, in sort of dust and dirt, also obviously in sort of cold and, and, uh, and wet. I mean, how did the camera actually perform just in terms of, was it production ready? Did it feel solid? Yeah, I mean, we never, you know, we really didn't have problems with the camera going down in any reason because of the environment, like ever, and especially overheating. It never overheated anywhere, including Vietnam, which was just, and there were two temperatures there, like hot and hotter. Um, and, and yeah, it, it performed unbelievably, unbelievably well, I thought. And the only problems we had were firmware, you know, just because we were running beta firmware on some of the cameras. And there were some issues that way, but in terms of um, durability and holding up to the environment, like, and especially overheating, like no. Nah, I've got to say, I, I love perfect. the portrait work, um, like the face stuff in the uh, in the calling. But there was just uh, other scenes where it just seemed to be that you've managed to capture such a uh, a marvelous quality of light. So, you know, clearly, uh, any good camera in the hands of a good photographer can produce good images. But it's reassuring to hear from you that you enjoyed shooting with it, and certainly the images. Um, terrific so congratulations so much on doing it and thank you so much for talking to us today guys it was really great oh, thanks so much for having us mike thanks so much mike thank you to roman david for that that was terrific really good uh, good chat and there's also a couple of really good a uh, couple of good behind the scenes uh, videos mm-hmm. as well as the the vimeo links in the show notes of course but there's a couple of uh, behind the scenes and just and chats uh with the photographers uh about it so it's really good to see behind the scenes as well as and what gear and how how light the rigs are and how simply they shot them um but i i'm i'm i'm, tem- I'm tempted i tell you i'm tempted i've not I've just not come to love the 5D Mark III, as certainly not as much as the Epic. But you know, I, I, I've I've got a few functionality things better than the 5D Mark II. But I've just not, I haven't. It, it's not. I, I just haven't quite come to love it. Not Mark like the 5D yet. Mark II, which just holds a special place well, which, in my heart. Yeah, which is is of course was. Um, I guess some um, keep just imagery. What I don't know. I mean, it's it's just doesn't. It it's not a big enough leap visually. It's not as the pictures aren't uh, a big leap better. Yeah, yeah. it's nice. I mean, I like the ISO. I do. I like the yeah. you know, shit in low light. Hey, um, so there's yeah. a couple of other things we want to do, and in a second we're going to give you an opportunity to win some software, um, yeah. which I guess I should have mentioned at the top of the show. But yes. um, a couple of other things I want to mention uh, because they come off the back of that A99. I was 
making wisecracks about having um, HDMI supported at release in November. Apparently, you can do that right now if you work for Canon, but if you're anyone else, you have to wait until April to do it. Yeah, which just pisses me off no end because uh, I just, you know, first I heard of it, I just thought, this is just a real cock act. Sorry, (laughs) I do like you, Canon, but if you can do the software now... Do it now. Seriously, if you know you can do it and you've got it, and again, if you... I mean, if it's in beta and there's a few rough edges to polish, terrific. But, you know, gee, April, I can't think what they would be doing in April. What the timing of that would be, I don't know. Is there any, something happening around April? Anyway, I can't work it out, but I'm we're sure there's like some marketing months, reason why they're holding it back. And I, I don't know what it is. Half a year. Half a year is a long time dumb. in SLRs. That is just dumb. As, as we've, you know, it's exponentially becoming a very long time in this industry. And if people have bought this thing and you can, and you've given that, you've got that ability, terrific. Then just, just, just share it seriously, people. That's having, just, having said that, thank you very much for developing it. We do thank you very much it. for developing it. Although using it will break the Wingrove's paradigm because you will then need to actually have an external uh, piece of equipment with external batteries and cables to be able to plug it in to be able to use the thing. Hey, um, um, but since you've already probably got all those other cables just to be able to shoot HDMI, just to be able to shoot video anyway, fair enough, it doesn't make rants, much of a difference. Speaking of rants, are you any likely, any less likely or more likely to revisit Final Cut Pro X now it supports native ah, R3Ds? Yes, I am, and I have somewhat. Oh, really? I've touched on it. Um, a little bit, and it's it's imp- getting uh, it's getting interesting. It's less sucky. It's well, my the my original issues and what's held me back with, apart from the fact that you could you know I could drag and drop stuff, red uh, footage, and with um, Premiere, which I've adopted at the moment, I could have multiple monitors and put. Menu, you know, like you can yeah. with with Final original with with Final Cut Classic or whatever. You could drag your monitors around and have multiple monitors. Up until this point, Final Cut Pro X has been a single monitor thing. That's it. It's designed to run on an iMac. And what do you mean you're going to have an external monitor? So what? What are they? Uh, you couldn't use it. You couldn't do anything on a second monitor. It just could go. You have to do everything on the single monitor. And it couldn't work with red files. So the two main uh, add- add-ons to this new update is r- run with uh, native 4 and 5K R3D files and have an external monitor, although you don't have quite the options of what you can put on that external monitor. You can put like a sort of a media browser thing or you can put like your um, view- viewers, like your your, your um uh, media viewer uh, windows on there, which you wouldn't really do because that traditionally always sits above the timeline. So you can certainly put all your media browsing and stuff on that side, but you can't really then have next to that like your list of visual list of list of filters or any of that sort of stuff. But literally within five minutes of launching the thing, I had running on two monitors. I had dragged and dropped 5K footage. I'd done a simple grade, and I could play it back in real time. 5K epic footage out through a black magic card which was another thing they hadn't been able to update i think that was a little bit an update a little bit ago but un- until fairly recently they didn't have much in the way of external card support so i i was quite impressed in five minutes to be able to do that and what felt seemed to be running reasonably smoothly although that was on mac you know whatever two-year-old mac pro uh, but yeah, there's still a couple of little little things to be sorted out. But we are getting closer to 
Uh, I'm sure for a lot of people that would be absolutely right now. Final Cut Pro X is is a a viable thing. I think I think there's still something with OMFs. They can't do OMFs, but uh, maybe they can do another couple of formats of audio expert export. Uh, you can also, yeah, you can I'm, also I'm take advantage impressed. of the red rocket card. I was expecting it to play back kind of choppily. There was a little tiny bit of something, but I think what do it you, also do does is rocket? that background rendering. Hmm? Do you have a red rocket? That was not with the red. I do have one, but that was not with the red rocket. Okay, because it does fitted. support the red rocket. Yeah, at the moment, red rocket is a uh, very, very expensive, lovely dust collecting device, which I don't put in my computer all the time because it's so frack and noisy. Uh, but it it does this sort of um, background um, kind of transcoding to ProRes. So while you're working away, it's slowly working on making your footage easier to... Um, um, it does this sort of background kind of... I, I guess the sort of rendering that um, iMovie does. I think it does this sort of weird kind of... Um, work around to be able to make the stuff play smoothly but I wasn't waiting for it seemed as I say dragged and dropped and playing pretty smoothly on two monitors and so the the the, the reasons for me to hate are um, not that I'm a hater of course uh, are slowly eroding so worth worth a look you can still da- obviously download it as a as a demo and have a play which I have still I haven't still I haven't still haven't uh, used the credit card in anger yet on this app but the, 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 I suppose the frustration is that it's it, it's you know it's over a year or two or whatever since they announced the thing, uh, and they're only just starting to get uh, functionality that a lot of apps have had uh, out of the gate. So, hmm, I guess I'm. It's frustrating that a lot of people have since moved on, and it's a little bit silly of Apple to have not have had this kind of stuff to begin with. Multiple monitors, come on. Seriously, when you've been able to do that for years and years and years with Final Cut Pro 7 to launch a new one and just put it all in one window and expect pros to be happy, that's just really dumb. And they would have lost a lot of people and they're going to have to slowly get them back. Um, it's it's a real marketing misstep, but hey. Yes. Well, anyway. anyway it's you wish a, you'd never asked? No, no. I just uh, I said curious because I, you know, I think Premiere has come forward in leaps and bounds. I yeah. tend to think there is um, a big problem with the timing of this. I think it's a huge problem. Hey, yeah. um, just under gear, I just wanted to flag something. We've um, just posted on the FX PhD blog the new True Color review that I did with uh, Tom Gleason. Now, that's a really interesting form of new light where LEDs excite a phosphor panel. If you want to check that out, uh, go over to fxphd.com. Mm where we have amazing new stuff with the new term as well. So check out that uh, um, mini review Tom and I do. Um, there's also footage out now showing what it looks like to see the black and white stuff coming off the Epic M. Yeah, I mean, that's on Red User, the links on the show notes. But it does look very nice, actually. Looks I mean, nice. I uh, I think the sharpness is what's evident there. Even on the uh, on the Vimeo, you can certainly look at look at it in, in HD properly. Um, uh, I... I'm sure you can get some very nice black and white graded out of out of color stock, and people do it all the time. But uh, it's still, nonetheless, very good to see a fashion photographer shoot this stuff who's used to shooting black and white, and uh, who, who's, um, yeah, to see the results that they that they get out of the camera. I, it's obviously it's still a very it's a very niche machine, it's a niche body, 
Um, uh, but still, it's really nice to see some imagery. Has used on Saturday Night Live our good friend uh, Jason Diamond and his oh, yes. brother. He was shooting with it in um, last weekend. Hey, um, so we've been tracking something here for a while because it it's held out enormous promise and it's now time for it to uh, move into sort of the general use category and that's Film Convert, uh, which is a film stock uh, emulation piece of software. Now we first saw this a little while ago and we've been literally tracking it and Jace, you separately were speaking to the Film Convert guys which is... Uh, Not aware that you were as well. No, that's all good. I mean we, we think it's uh, really, really interesting. This is a yes, way of taking I'm glad something... you think that way. Yeah, no, taking some R3D footage for example, making it look like a particular film stock, so it might be 527 uh, or something that I'm picking and... Um, this being able to target a film stock and make it look is, of course, a skill that many colorists have to retarget stuff to can intercut with other stock. Yeah. Uh, but for you who are perhaps less experienced at doing that, as I am, even though I'm, you know, I know exactly what I want, getting it to actually happen is another matter. Yeah. And Film Convert does this exceedingly well. And Jace, do you want to talk about our opportunity for people? Uh, I will touch on a minute, but I think I'll just talk about how they're achieving it somewhat. Is that they've they've obviously shot these stocks for a start. They start with film and shoot. They haven't just gone, oh yeah, I think it should look like this. They've gone out and with every one of these film stocks, black and white and color, gone and physically shot them. Uh, and uh, I guess mapped, and you probably know more, having tracked it a bit more than me, Mike. Kind of mapped every one of the colors and color charts so that. I guess, that, as you say, targeted. They, it's not just putting an overall look on these things. They actually make your footage respond the same, look like that you shot with the same sensitive uh, stock, I guess. The reds will, re- it will be the same, have the same re- level of red sensitivity in the shadows, have the same level of greens that might come out of the sky. It's actually looking at every part of the, the spectrum and how it's, uh, how sensitive or not it is. And also, one of the other things it does is add uh, grain, and not just by taking a crappy scan of some regular grain and slapping on everything. It applies the grain across each stock as that grain, as the grain would be seen in that stock, and so if one particular stock is, more, you know, you're going to see a little bit more grain in the highlights in one stock and a little bit more in the blacks here, and this film is, is is a little bit faster, so you would naturally see a little bit more grain in the blacks. Then again, that will be applied across 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 the board, right, Mike? And I think the other thing is that it it knows, or you tell it what your original source footage is and it apply it doesn't apply a look slap it over the top of whatever your incoming footage is the look that is applied is dependent on yeah, the source the, yeah. imagery so whether you shot on red uh or raw r3ds whatever it looks at that and so there's a 99 dollars version which has eight film stocks and and outputs 1080p now there's a two forty nine dollar pro version which works with raw footage uh, and has nineteen other film stocks and can do four k. Uh, there's also a standalone version and a plug in version of the pro version uh, pro software which will work with After Effects and FCPX. I would totally recommend you go to filmconvert.com and look at the examples page. Yes, uh, and now, the reason. Sorry. Yes, go ahead. I was going to say, because you're absolutely right, the, the thing about the stock is really significant because the way that a um, piece of emulsion gets its different um, responses is in an individual color. 
obviously before they've been turned into RGB when they're in the original yellow cyan and magenta on the unexposed negative. In one of those layers, there can be up to three layers of different film grain with three different layers of granular size uh, to capture different speeds at different responses. So in every Vision 3 stock, a individual color layer, as I say, a negative before it's turned into RGB, itself has three layers. And mm. that complexity of film grain is what is often lost on uh, just, as you say, slapping noise on it. And that response the responsiveness of the, the target stock as well as how it's reacting to the light um, is what these guys are picking up on. And you can see that when you see these examples because they have stuff that was shot literally simultaneously or uh, one after another on Red MX uh, stuff and on ARRI uh, 435 cameras using, say, Kodak Vision 3 stock. I think it's a really good match. I think it's really important also if you had a director who was saying, look, I want this to intercut, I want this we had to shoot this low light or we had to shoot this differently for some reason with a camera and I want it to work and be filmic, that you have a degree of confidence that you're nailing it, not just estimating it. Uh, and this could be a really big deal breaker for me, I think, if I was pitching this to a to a director who was wanting for some reason maybe some of the footage is coming um, from another source and you're yeah. trying to match it in. The other thing with it is it's really quite quick. Uh, I just had a quick play and... Um uh, did some transcoding out to ProRes and things, and it was uh, very. I was very impressed with how, how considering it's rendering not just color, but it's adding grain, you know, subtly adding grain. Uh, I expected it to take a lot longer than it uh, was. It was sort of cranking through it. Uh, now, so thanks to Craig Herring from Rubber Monkey Software, we, we are uh, they are giving away a pro license of your choice. So whether you can do plug-in or um, standalone, I think. Uh, a license of your choice. Now, uh, what you need to be is the first person to email us here at the RC at fxguide.com. Uh, go to filmconvert.com and be the first to tell us who is the guy grinding metal in the video. Apparently, he's got a bit of a cult following. Um, it might take a little bit of Googling, but uh, apparently the clue, there's a, a bit of a clue somewhere, although I couldn't find it, so it's a very good clue. Um uh, it, the IMDb, IMDb page for Return of the King. Ah, shush. Um, hey, it's uh, $250 worth of uh, stuff, so jump right in. But we have to take it on the basis of what email arrives to us first. I don't care if you yeah. sent it first. We have to get which arrives first because sometimes they go through filters. Um, but, yeah, we'll keep an eye out. And the first one we see that has the correct answer, we will um, let if you have. If you are not a winner, then you can still be a winner. You can use a, they've also set up a promo code FX Guide for the next 14 days. So until 15th of November, you can get 20% off, which is not uh, an insubstantial, unsubstantial uh, discount. Uh, yeah, you can get 20% off uh, using the FX Guide code until 15th November. So you know what else? Good on them. Do you know Thanks, what else? Craig. <laughs> Thank you very much. Craig, and uh, we're going to be playing with it, and we'll talk in an upcoming episode about um, some of the aspects. And thanks for going to the effort. I think this would have been a substantial, as pre- I mean, I'm not sure how long they've been working on it, but oh, it's been a if while. you look at the back behind the scenes and doing the tests required to get the information to make this work right, anyone who's done camera tests will know they're a complete pain in the ass. So, uh, yeah, and not only do you have to do the test, then you've got to make that work within a piece of software. So, very clever. So do you know what else shots shot digitally and recorded, quote, not on their own shit, that um, produced really interesting, very cinematic results? No. 
That would be Skyfall. Ah, yes. That would be the new James Bond film. Desperately keen. I can't tell you how pants-wettingly keen I am to see see it. Because I'm seeing it, like, in a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Yeah, thanks. That's good, because I think the release here is another God, another bloody month away, 22nd or something, yep. I think, here in Australia, 27th uh, of November. Yeah, that's right. That's, right. that's uh, late in November, though, listeners... <sighs> and it's uh, already out in, lis- in UK. In UK, not yeah. in the US. Yeah. So uh, I I will see it, but not before my friends are in the homeland. Yes, I'm very, very, very keen. I know a few people who worked on it, and they were very impressed. They had, obviously, had Alexa Studios and... Uh, uh, Alexa M's for some rigs and Alexa's, and they said that it was faultless, and you know they they love working with them. I very happy with the cameras. It looks bloody good. And yeah, I tell you the trailers, the footage. Wow, and I'm very I'm very happy that the uh, so far audience feedback and review seems to be uh, seems to be good because this franchise was uh, dying on the vine there for a little while and was cancelled and back off and back on again. So. As a long, long time Bond fan, I'm very happy that what this looks like, it's flagged it uh, um, to have uh, to be continuing beyond this then. Well, also in this particular year, right? Because this is such a significant year for the uh, the franchise, the 50th anniversary and of Bond. First Bond shot digitally and the first digital film for Roger Deakins who shot it. And Roger Deakins is really good yeah he's just really yeah. really yeah. good yeah um if you haven't seen the trailer just go and look at it. it's just like the top of your head will pop off it's just uh, it's like awesome good and i'm um, a welcome um antidote to quantum of solace i got to hear mr deacon's talk at sidgraph of all places where he was talking because he does a lot of consulting on um yes fully digital projects i think he's contracted to dreamworks isn't he i think yeah. yes he is and uh friends of mine work with him in the uh grading department at dreamworks uh from time to time and say he's a heck of a nice guy mm. and and grading a film with him is basically a lesson in film school mm. but i got to sit and have a splendid hour and a half i think listening to him discuss Films and what was great about it is he discussed not only the films but he had clips which show, and oh my god they were just so good you know just he'd have a clip and um, and it would be very interesting how he'd like let actors go into complete negative and and fall off into space and mm. and he'd be you know what we've just seen the actors in this previous scene and it's been a two shot in a cafe and they've been very well lit and you've got everything you need from that what you need now is the kind of silhouetted body language and that's all we need plus. I didn't want to have to come back the next day because we're going to go into overtime or miss the next thing. And I thought, hey, let's just shoot Tommy Lee Jones in complete black silhouette and let his words carry. And everything about him describing his shots and how he works and, oh, my God, I just am floored by how good his work is. Yeah. Yeah, it is good. And he's, you know, he's led the way, not necessarily digital shooting, but digital post, you know, having done first the first breakout kind of DI work with Oh Brother Where Art Thou all, yep. the, all that sort of incredible colour grading there could not be done just by you know grade, you know the grader alone this had to be done in concert with but he was even showing and his work on Wally was just I mean I, it's hard oh. to tell his, his input on that but it's a very filmic it has an optical quality uh, more on Earth than when you go up into the spaceship, which is a completely yep. different, you know. But there actually, are actually shots in the spaceship that he has, like there's a shot where these shopping trolley type things uh, are going 
falling yeah. and Wally's being attacked by them. And the sort of the way the camera does the pan yeah. and having the nodal point offset from the, yeah. the and the way that it kind of finds him with the focus, it's just spectacular. Mm. You know, he played clips from um, Sid and Nancy. I don't know if you remember Sid and Nancy. Yeah, right. Documentary uh, on, well, not documentary, no, not to, the, uh, the uh, biopic. Rockumentary, if you like. No, um, it was, it was yeah, biopic. And uh, it had um, spectacular performances in it. Uh, uh, by Gary Oldman. Um, but there's a, if you look at the poster for Sid and Nancy on IMDb, and I think there's only one poster, it's a shot of them kissing and there's uh, like a big dumpster. And for example, he told that story. I'm just going to recount it now. Um, they, they pulled up in the car. So there's Alex Cox in the front. I'm pretty sure it was Gary Oldman in the back or somebody else. And, and he's there. And they're looking down and they're like, oh, we could shoot, you know, that scene there. And now the thing that, that just, I mean, it's, when you when I said I say this, you go, "Well, it's obvious." But they were like, "Well, we're going to make it look kind of, you know, rough and whatever." And then they thought, "Get people throwing trash down and burning bits of stuff." And then he just said, "And we'll shoot it all slow mo." And the second that you see this shot, which is grotty and grimy, and there's falling garbage, and it's just nasty, right? It's not a pretty picture. In slow motion, it's a love story. I mean, he just, you know, it's not like he did it because it was a cool shot. He did it because at the heart of this tragic story is a love story. And he just like, he's just the way he describes the shots and like, we didn't have any time to set up. We didn't. And, and, but all he had time to do and, you know, the budget to do and stuff was shoot this one shot in kind of slow-mo and then it just makes it. And it's so iconically great in the film that as I say, it's been picked up for the poster, even of course that's a still, but it reminds you of that shot. And time and time again, he was just finding ways of, servicing the story without pulling everything out of the truck, without mm. doing things. Just great to yeah. hear him talk. If you ever get a chance to hear him talk. Yeah, he's a good teacher. Oh, my God, yeah. Anyway, so I just thought I'd drop that so that I could show off that I've got, you know, tickets <laughs> to to that. And you don't. And I just thought it'd be a really cruel thing to say. Yeah, thanks. No problem. Um, right. No guests allowed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was fine. No worries. Um, quick little Twitter shout out. Yes, yes. And, and a, an important... Well, not so much a Twitter shout-out, but... Uh, a Facebook shout-out. Can we do a Facebook shout-out? For not on, not on Twitter, Viv. Yes. So Viv runs uh, Red Apple Rentals, which is a, a rental company, which, oh, by the way, guess what? Also happens to have Codex, what a good segue, um, for rentals. Now, Codex is what was being recording, the recording device of choice on 007. And um, Viv is a great guy. We've shot with him and uh, used his stuff. We're shooting with some of his stuff. 35mm, I think I said last week on the show. Uh, he's a great guy. So the site, the link, because it's not Twitter, is uh, Facebook slash Red Apple Camera Rentals, all one word. And, uh, yeah, just a really nice guy. And uh, redapplerentals.com is his website. And, um, yeah, I think he's just about to get or has got a set of Hawk uh, anamorphics. We might talk about that next time because they've just released their... Retro vintage 1974 Hawk V74. I think they're awesome, um, f- super mega flary vintage, uh, vintage looking uh, anamorphics. Uh, might try and speak to someone there at Hawk because they're doing some pretty bloody amazing things. Can I also say just but to- Viv's a good, uh, you know, he's an all rounder and he's a shooter and he has epics and lots of Alexas and uh, puts money back into the gear, not into his pocket. Well, I'm sure he puts some in his pocket as well. But yeah. uh, hey, I want the guy to be in business. 
Can I also just flag how much I enjoyed talking to Jerome and David earlier in the show? Like, these are really good guys. They listen to the show. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we really are keen to connect with people that are using the cameras and doing stuff. And, mm. um, and, it, and, and especially so when they're such nice guys. And, uh, yeah, no, really, <clears throat> if you, as I said earlier in the show, you should check out the videos in the show notes. But they're really uh, very, very talented guys. Yes, thank you to everybody we had on, and uh, thank you to Sony, and uh, thank you to everybody who's, uh, and to Robert Monkey, everyone who... uh Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Well, that's it for another week. Um, I will, I'm heading overseas soon, Jace, but hopefully we'll get one when I get back. Same, same. Talk to you soon. Okay, see ya. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.